Welcome back, Irish Nation, to the second episode of Irish Talk. I'm your host, Brett, joined by one of my best friends, fellow Notre Dame alumni, and a scrappy three-star out of Memphis with an elusive rating of 99 on NCAA Football 14. Mike, <laughs> how's it going? I'm good, Brett. You're you're far too generous with that rating. Um, a 99 is tough to get. I may have a 99 speed rating, but I, I don't know about a 99 overall. <laughs> so, But nonetheless, appreciate it. Always the punt returner. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I have to say I'm getting more and more excited about this upcoming fall football season. Uh, the air is getting crisper, the leaves darker, the exasperated game day size and eye rolls from girlfriends across the country louder. Uh, big thank you to our listeners. As a reminder, you can find Gyrish Talk on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Podbean. Download us, rate us, give us feedback. We're also on the Twitterverse at Gyrish Talk. Give us a follow, tweet at us, tell us how you think the squad will do this year. Before diving into the second part of our 2021 uh, season preview, uh, should we quickly recap what this podcast is about, Brett? Absolutely. Uh, as we discussed last week, we, we love Notre Dame football. We go to games every year in the fall. This is our favorite hobby. Uh, well, my, my favorite hobby might be golf, but Notre Dame football, very close second. And uh, it brings us a lot of joy. We're, we're going to be you know reasonable on this podcast. We, we won't be coming at you with hot takes. Um but we're, we're definitely going to be focused on positive vibes, especially when talking about the players, you know, 18, 22-year-old kids. We, we view them as, uh, you know, players we love to cheer for, and we're their fans first and foremost. Yeah, big, big emphasis on reasonable. We're not, we're not the guys who are coming at the coaches, and especially the players after loss with foam in our mouths. We're going to try to be analytical and data-driven in our assessments each week. That's just who we are. We've gotten into college football in the digital era. So recruiting rankings, advanced stats, metrics, as well as analyzing and critiquing um, all that in the media. Yeah, and in, in the first few episodes, we're going to try to kind of cover this each week in a different way, but um, start each podcast talking a little bit about our approach, our strategy, how we research uh, Notre Dame football and, and just kind of digest college football more broadly. Um we're also going to start a, a mailbag session from questions we receive from our listeners. So th- this week we got a few questions we'll, we'll get into shortly that just asks us about the podcast. Um, and so we'll dive into that momentarily. And then after that, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, finishing out the roster preview. Um, this time we're going to cover the defense. And then we're going to go into a big offseason headline, uh, Notre Dame independence. Uh, a lot of news out there about Texas, Oklahoma joining the SEC and what that might mean for more conference realignment, what that might mean for Notre Dame and whether or not we'll maintain our independence. Um, and then we'll wrap up with a made-up advanced statistic that's one of my favorites, uh, the notorious one-half team. Great. I mean, there's nothing better than made-up statistics, in my opinion. So I'm excited about this one. All sabermetrics were made up at one point. Uh, <laughs> let's dive in. So remember, too many cold ones could put you on ice. All right, we got a lot of great feedback from our first episode from from a bunch of listeners out there. Um, Our takes were definitely cold ones, but no one called to put us on ice. Uh, One of our favorite reactions to the show, uh, Michael and I were both told that we had great faces for podcasting. So uh, not quite sure how we should take that, but uh, we did have a lot of other good questions. Uh, we wanted to address a few starting off. So uh, first one comes from my pastor, Ian White. Uh, where do you guys get your information for the show? What beat writers do you follow that uh, track Notre Dame football? 
Great question. Uh, before I go into that, I have to say regarding the comment on our beautiful faces for podcasting, I think that's just additional motivation for us to maintain our skincare routine. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad it's paying off. So, uh, we're looking for sponsors. If anyone knows of a skincare company that, uh, wants to hook us up, we're, we're looking for sponsors. Yeah. We're that, that's the, that's the dream in my opinion. Um, now, now I guess getting, getting to the question, uh, they're, they're, there are a handful of writers. We, frankly, we, we follow a lot of writers, but some of the main ones are Pete Sampson for, with The Athletic, Eric Hansen with the South Bend Tribune, Chris Wilson from The Rakes Report, Tim Prister, Irish Illustrated, also ND class of uh, 82, Josh Foles over at One Foot Down, Brian Driscoll at Sports Illustrated, NDNation.com also is a good aggregator of all those writers. Um, I also go on Irish Envy. I find that that's a pretty helpful forum too. Um, but all those people I listed and, and many more. Yeah, and, and one that I just add for maybe a broader college football podcast. Um, I love the solid verbal. Uh, Dan and Ty are awesome. Ty's a big ND fan. It's always nice to have a homer, um, in, in the national, uh, football media. And they're, they're very funny. Some might even say that I got a little bit of Ty Hildebrand in me. <laughs> um, they're definitely an inspiration as we craft Notre Dame specific segments. In fact, they are the original creator of the, uh, Notorious One Half Team. Oh, great. Okay. There you go. In good company. Um, all right. Next question. And, uh, okay. It's a cupcake. It looks like from Alexi shocking that our NFL draft analyst expert is asking this. Frankly, you know, Brad, I don't know. This is a little embarrassing, but needless to say, here's, here's the question. So he's asking, let's see, the transitions last week were really cool. Where were they from? So for a little background, Alexi is not a Notre Dame fan. He, he became a Notre Dame fan by association of a friendship with me. Uh, shamefully, he's never seen Rudy. So Alexi, uh, last week's transitions were uh, from the character Fortune uh, in the movie Rudy, trying to convince Rudy to uh, not quit the team. Uh, Fortune's the head groundskeeper for Notre Dame Stadium. He's the mentor for Rudy of sorts. And, and in this scene, he's, he's trying to get Rudy to... Uh, stay at Notre Dame and and come back out for the squad. Um, won't spoil the rest of the movie for you, but uh, the the movie I guess does end with the crowd chanting Rudy. So <laughs> you know you kind of know where it's it's gonna go from there. Okay, last question from the fans this week, uh, Doctor Michael. Uh, following up on our piece on Jack Cohn, how do we assess Cohn's ability to throw the deep ball uh, twenty plus yards down the field? Appears this is leagues above book. Uh, do the receivers have enough talent to capitalize on this? Great question. Great question. Uh, Dr. Kraft, our in-house podcast doctor, uh, you know, he, he's an excellent physician. From what I hear, a pretty good dentist too. Well, regarding his actual question, for now we can only read the tea leaves from practice reports and what Cohen actually did in his time at Wisconsin. So far, reports and comments have been positive. Kelly has he's even gone out of his way several times to talk up his arm strength, saying it's been better than expected. Look, Cohn didn't exactly get a chance to air it out at Wisconsin due to their focus on the run, but that doesn't mean he's not capable with some talented receivers. Just because Mahomes isn't walking out there doesn't mean we don't have a QB capable of effectively capitalizing on the deep ball. The reality is we won't be able to fully evaluate him until the season starts. If we see an immediate uptick in deep attempts compared to Book, that'll be a good sign in my opinion. Even if we're not hitting them all immediately, I think that confidence and willingness is, you know, that, that that's what I that's what I want to see, um, and that's something we've missed in the past. To answer the second part of uh, of the question, I think the receivers have a lot of upside. They're getting a lot of hype so far in camp. We talked about this in our last episode. There's a difference between hype and actually 
having proven it on the field before, they definitely fall into the category of hype, haven't proved it yet on the field. That being said, I do think if they remain healthy, I think they can capitalize. And I think we'll be able to evaluate Cone's deep ball ability with some actual capable receivers. To me, that that would be a pretty exciting thing. Yeah, and just just to add some metrics to this, I, I think it's a great question and, and one it's it's good to spend a little bit of time on. Notre Dame's offense just statistically was not explosive last year. It was a top 20 offense, but it did not get there via explosive plays. Um, a metric a lot of folks uh, reference a lot is plays of 20-plus or 30-plus yards per game. Notre Dame only had 5.2 plays per game of 20-plus yards last year. That was 45th in the country. Um, For plays of 30-plus yards, they ranked uh, 70th in the country. And that wasn't necessarily on Ian Book. Um, I I just don't think uh, you can put that all in the QB. A, A lot of it was just the receivers weren't getting open down the field. Um, and, and to kind of prove that out in 2019, when book was also the quarterback, we were 12th in plays over 20 yards and 38th in plays over 30 yards. Um, so we definitely took a step back last year. Um, we also lost Chase Claypool to the NFL draft, right? We, we lost, um, our, our you know, best receiver. Um, and so, you know, the only year where we were truly explosive in recent memory was in 2017. We were sixth in the nation in plays over 30 plus yards. That was really driven by Josh Adams and Brandon Wimbush with their legs in the running game, not not the passing game. So just from a statistical perspective, um, worth highlighting, one, there's a big drop-off last year that I don't think you can really put all on Book's arm. Right. Um, but two, I think you really need maybe more than the QB. You need a Will Fuller. You need a Chase Claypool. You need a Miles Boykin. Um, that guy wasn't necessarily there last year. Javon McKinley found Paydirt a lot, um, got in the end zone, but wasn't necessarily at that same caliber. Um, hopeful Braden Lindsay or, or Austin step up into that role this year. But yep. to me, this is more than just book versus cone. This, this is a broader passing game question. Yeah. I think that's a good point on last year. Um, not having someone like Claypool, I don't think that gets talked about enough. I mean, look, Look at how Claypool played in the NFL last year. That guy, that guy's yeah, a big, dude. deep threat. Yeah, that guy is a dude. He goes out there, he stretches the field, he can go up and grab it. Um, so if you don't have someone like that, I mean, it's, it's not easy to, to have someone like that on your team to begin with, but, you know, like losing someone like that, it's not surprising you, you take a hit uh, when, when that person goes on to the NFL. Um, but yeah, again, uh, great questions. Um, keep them coming. We're excited to, you know, see what other, you know, interesting questions you guys can come to us with. Um, appreciate our listeners sending them in. Uh, if you have any questions about myself or, or Brett, feel free to send those in. It doesn't just have to be about ND football. Ideally, it'll, you know, be related to it. Uh, reach out to us. You can reach out to us with the questions on the, on the various podcast platforms. Twitter's good, too. We love engaging with our listeners. Now, uh, let's, let's turn it over to our next segment in part two of the 2021 season preview remember do not let your day go down the drain by forgetting this safety plug uh similar to last week we're going to dive into the rest of the roster this time covering the defense um this entire segment could be a plug on safety kyle hamilton but before we get to praising hamilton and his teammates uh first want to start off talking about marcus freeman the new defensive coordinator Freeman comes over from Cincinnati. He led the number three defense in the country last year per FEI ratings from Football Outsiders. 
Uh, just for a little bit of context, Notre Dame had a great defense last year. We were number 18 in that ranking. Um, we've never cracked the top 10 since Bob Diaco's squad in 2012. Um, under the Brian Van Gorder era, we never even cracked the top 25. Um, so the fact that Freeman was able to generate a top five defense with way less talent than he's got here at Notre Dame, um, he looked really strong against the top 10 Georgia team in their bowl game. Um, Freeman can coach. I, I know Elko and Lee gets a lot of praise from Irish fans. They should. They're great coaches. Um, but, but Freeman's been now proving this out for several years at Cincy, even before last year. They, they were top 25 defenses per FEI in both 2018 and 19. Um, he's 35 years old. He's young. Um, he's going to be a head coach at some point. Um, that's maybe the one knock on this. He, he might be the Brian Kelly succession plan. Um, but he's, he's a great hired, highly coveted DC. Um, Tom Loyett, I, uh, Irish Illustrated had a great piece earlier this summer, how Freeman actually had another offer from LSU to take the same role. Um, two years ago, LSU had Dave Aranda, who is the highest paid coordinator in the country. Um, that's a huge position and Freeman chose Notre Dame. Um, that's a really big testament to Brian Kelly and his ability to not just recruit players, but also recruit top end coordinating candidates. Yep. Um, no, no question that if this move doesn't work out, if Freeman doesn't pan out, you, I'm on the record right now. You can't come back and question this hire. Um, you just can't. This is a great hire for Kelly. This is a great hire for the program. Um, one I'm really excited about. Yeah. I mean, Brett, I think, I think the fact that we, beat LSU for him is, is pretty huge. Um, I think that, frankly, is a, a programming, a program statement in many ways. That's not something that I remember really happening in, in the past. Um, so, yeah, again, I think this guy, potentially a program changer. We'll see. I mean, we're, we're already seeing it on the recruiting trail. It's very early. Um, we're not going to talk about recruiting too much here, but... Uh, so far, there has been a noticeable uptick in, in the type of uh, type of athlete that we're uh, that we're getting. So, um, yeah, and I'd I'd even just add to that on on the recruiting point. It's it's a good thing to note. Um, Two forty seven had him ranked as the second best uh, coach recruiter in the country when when they kind of rank assistant coaches and who they bring in. Freeman was number two um, for the work he did on the twenty twenty two recruiting class. And that was just since being hired um, at the end of last season. So that's really in six months of work. Um, yep. Incredible stuff. The, the other thing we're really hearing a lot out of camp um, is just his willingness to change. Um, at Cincinnati, he completely switched his scheme between 2017 and 2018. Um, that took them from the 94th scoring defense to the ninth scoring defense in, in a one-year period. Um, if we think back about what, Brian Van Gorder wasn't able to do. It, it was adapt his scheme to the players he had. Um, Tim Prister had also at Irish Illustrated had a good piece earlier this week about that versatility. Um, Freeman's going to keep the Rover role in his scheme. Um, the Rover was a big part of Elko and Lee's scheme. That's not necessarily something Freeman's coached before, but he's now got a group of players that have been trained up being a Rover. Um, and so, you know, he wants that role. Um, it sounds like he's going to make some tweaks to it. He's kind of referred to it as the sniper instead of the uh, rover. Yeah. Um, he's trying to get safeties flying all over the place. Um, but in general, just that willingness to adapt, um, I, I really like that about him. I think that's key. I think it helps us utilize our roster. A lot of times when a new defensive, co or defensive coordinator or coach comes in, they'll revamp the scheme. You'll have a lot of 
different players that were recruited for certain types of positions. You know, maybe they're a little different um, within the new scheme. And those players, unfortunately, sometimes get left behind. Keeping keeping the rover, being flexible, being adaptable, I think it helps us uh, make sure that no one really gets left behind and we're optimizing the full strength of our roster. Um, so, yeah. I agree. I think I think his uh, his willingness to adapt is key. Um, now, getting more into the scheme. So so what about that scheme? For starters, Freeman already had a similar scheme as Lee and Elko. So this will be an evolution. Not a, as I mentioned, not a, a complete overhaul. Uh, two differences though. You're going to see more man to man. Lee rarely deployed man coverage, but Freeman brought over his his D back coach Mike Mickens, and they rely heavily on physical man to man coverage on the outside. Corner isn't necessarily a strength for this unit. So it'll be interesting to see how how we fare in one-on-one matchups, particularly with Howell, Slovis, uh, et cetera, slinging the ball around. The other the other big difference is, is pre-snap. Freeman's philosophies are to run simple schemes that let athletes be athletes, really similar to Lee and Elko, but Lee and Elko don't show you a lot of pre-snap looks. Drew White and Kyle Hampton have both talked up the quote have both talked up uh, how the pre-snap movement is such a big part of Freeman's defenses. To compare to Brian Van Gorder. That defense scheme was really complex after the ball was, was snapped. I, I remember hearing quotes, people would call it advanced calculus, essentially. And that was not meant as a compliment. Freeman's defense is really complicated before the ball is snapped, but then it's a simple go-execute strategy. Since he was hired, like some of the quotes from uh, from, from players that have come out have, have been uh, really talking about how, how freeing, no pun intended, it is the play under the new scheme. Does that translate into a stifling defense? We'll see. Yeah, so that um, good good segue. Let's dive into the roster. Uh, we'll start with the defensive line. Um, looking back at, at who we lost from a year ago, Dylan Hayes and Adia Gundage are gone. They're, they're playing in the NFL. Um, but other than that, a lot of the rotation comes back, and this is a deep unit. Um, last year, regularly played nine guys in the rotation, getting 15, 20 snaps a game. Um, so the emphasis is very much on getting the right matchups on the right downs, um, getting the pass rushers in on third down, getting the big guys in on, on short yardage situations, keep fresh legs in the trenches, and, and really wear teams down. Um, last week's episode, we talked about pitching a shutout against UNC in the second half. A lot of that was the fresh legs we had on the defensive line. Um, you're going to expect to see that again this year. Um, I don't think there's an All-American on this defensive line. Um, you're not going to see a 10 sack machine. You're not going to see a first round draft pick in this group, but you got Myron, I struggle with this, Tagvailoa Amosa, uh, Jason Adamalola, his brother Justin, and Kurt Heinisch. That's four seniors up front, uh, MTA and Kurt, both captains this year. Um, and then Isaiah Foskey. Um, if you want to study havoc rates, um, Isaiah Foskey is a havoc machine. He gets to the quarterback. He gets his hands on the ball. He deflects passes. He, he, forces, uh, fumbles, um, sophomore, uh, Foskey does have a longer term projection towards first round NFL draft grades. I don't know if he's there yet. Um, but if there's one guy on this roster that can really be just a one man wrecking crew, it's probably Foskey on, on the D line. Um, and then other guys in the rotation, uh, Riley Mills, Howard Cross, Jordan Botello. Um, they'll also be there. Jacob Lacey's getting some mentions in camp. Um, so it's, it's going to be a deep group again. Yep. A lot of names. That's nine names, in fact. Uh, Freeman talked about wanting a, a 1A, 1B rotation at each defensive unit, with the exception of Drew White and Kyle Hamilton. Um, he went so far to say that the defensive line just has too much depth to limit to a two-man rotation, 
and expects them one season to mix. It, it really is remarkable where this defensive line has has gotten to. I remember, you know, Brett and I definitely remember early in, in the in the Kelly days when we were when we were on campus. Um, the defensive line was a huge question mark really until the 2012 season. That was like the one year when it, we finally had a breakthrough. Um, and not to go too much into nostalgia, but um, people always mentioned how the defensive line was something that was limiting Notre Dame from breaking through. Now the defensive line has been a consistent machine for like the last few years, a clear strength of the team. So credit to Elston. Um, it's something that it's one position that I feel the least like stress about overall. Um, now I, I think another point, a big theme is Notre Dame's just lack of returning production in a year when those teams are bringing back more than the normal due to that extra COVID eligibility on the, on the defensive line um, in particular, there's, 27 and a half tackles for losses and 12 sacks in returning production. So that's actually more than the line returned last year. Um, needless to say, plenty of experience here to anchor the defense. Yeah, agreed. Of, of all the position groups, this is, this is probably the one where returning production is a good thing, maybe not a weakness. Probably my one area of concern for this group is just raw talent. Um, there's no top 100 recruits on our defensive line depth chart. Uh, Jason, Adam, Malola, Botello, Lacey, Foskey, and Mills were all top 300 recruits. There's a decent amount of four-star talent there um, with with five uh, players, but that is mostly the underclassmen in this group, minus Adam Malola. Um, and that goes back to the idea that, that this line is deep, but there's no 10-sack machine there. You're going to be seeing a lot of three-star recruits out there, um, a lot of upperclassmen, but not necessarily that raw talent. Um, they'll be solid. They'll wear teams down. Um, but, but just from a pure raw talent, there's no five star blue chip, um, guys, you know, top hundred recruits, uh, at, at the D line position. Yep. I mean, it speaks to how well Elson has developed the line, but agree, like some of the upside that you get with the five star mega recruits that we don't have that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting on Mike Elston, by the way, going back to Freeman, Mike Elston was the other candidate considered for the defensive coordinator job. Um, been with Kelly for over a decade, defensive yep. line coach has, has done a really nice job. Um, and sounds like he and Freeman have, have really clicked. So that, that's good to see two of, you know, really good defensive coaches, uh, work, working together. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so now moving to, to linebackers, we're, we're looking at another rotation here. Uh, I'm about to list a bunch of names here, so so bear with me. Word from camp is that there are at least five guys cycling through the three different positions, with potentially even more getting involved. Pete Sampson, one of the uh, main writers that we follow, reported that uh, JT Bertrand has been at the second team, Will, and the third team, Mike. Maris Lefoy, I don't know, I may have uh, mispronounced that, but he started at the first team, Will, but also tried out Rover with the backups. Drew White has only been seen at the mic. Bo Bauer has been at both Mike and Will. And then uh, Jack Kaiser has worked at the first team Rover, but also has experience at the Will. So uh, quite a mouthful there. As you can see, the takeaway is, is that these guys are moving around quite a bit. Um, apart from these five, there may even be some reps for Shane Simon, Isaiah Pryor, Pryor and Paul uh, Moala. But um, it seems like these last three guys that I mentioned are a step removed. Um, overall, a lot of depth here. Uh, a lot of players worthy of reps. Marcus Freeman has even commented this week that he talks to Kelly every day about how to get all these players involved. Yeah, and just stepping back and, and you know, kind of who's the known commodities in this group? It's Drew White, Drew White, 
and Drew White. Um, <laughs> he was a walk-on, uh, or basically a walk-on. I don't know, preferred walk-on. He's, he's got a scholarship now, number 977 in his recruiting class. So he barely broke the top 1,000 high school football players. Um, built in the mold of, of one of my favorites uh, in Notre Dame, Lord Joe Schmidt, uh, who, who is a linebacker back in our day. Um, you know, Drew's not going to have JOK level speed. He's not going to have Jalen level everything. Um, but he's on the watch list for a lot of linebacker awards this year. Solid tackler. Um, you know, doesn't seem to have, um, you know, if you recall, I mentioned Joe Schmidt who broke an ankle and then kind of came back was just a step slow. Um, Drew White doesn't really have any real limitations in his game. He's just very solid all around. Um, and he's, he's a really good guy to have in the rotation. He's, he's the quarterback of the defense. Um, he's, he's a captain. Um, expect him to really step up and be the guy, um, in the middle of the Irish defense. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then Jack Kaiser is the other big experienced player who's back. He was using spot situations last year and, I mean, frankly, was an absolute machine. He's a safe bet. He's definitely a safe bet for a lot of reps. Beyond that, we have, you know, as I mentioned, JT, Bertrand, Maris, Bo Bauer. They're all in the mix for playing time. Kaiser, uh, you know, look, kind of taking another step back and looking at, um, you know, all, all these bodies that we have at the linebacker position. Kaiser, Bertrand, and Maris were all top 400 recruits, high three-star level, with Bertrand actually barely cracking four-star status. Bo Bauer was a top 300 four-star. Um, in terms of players with that top 100 recruiting pedigree, we have Shane Simon. He's, he's the, the one guy who fits that. However, he maybe hasn't lived up to the hype yet. He just hasn't cemented himself as the, you know, he didn't really cement himself as the, as the rover last year, starting for about half the season, um, largely uninvolved in the ACC Championship and Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl, but at, at 6'3", 235, uh, the guy definitely has the physical makeup that, uh, that you'd be looking for. Yeah. And, and what I'd say about Simon, he's, he's a senior, right? So like this is his last go at this. Um, you know, frankly, I thought after last year when he did get some playing time, he played in the ACC championship in the Rose Bowl. Um, if there's been maybe one surprise on the defensive side of the ball, just in terms of what we're hearing out of summer camp, um, I thought Shane Simon was, for sure going to be in the rotation. So hearing him kind of on the outside looking in, um, maybe the one surprise out of this group from a senior that, you know, I, I had big hopes for stepping up. Um, I hope he gets a shot. I think he's a great kid. Yep. Um, I think he's been a great locker room presence, um, you know, really pulling for him. But but right now it seems like he's um, on the outside looking in for a starting job. Yep. And sometimes, sometimes players, it doesn't seem to come together until the very end. Um, we, we've seen that before. It'll just like click the last year. So hopefully, hopefully that happens with them. Um, before moving on to the secondary, it's, it's, it is worth noting how solid the front seven was last year. They gave up uh, only 113 rushing yards per game for context. That 2012 squad that took us to the BCS title game uh, gave up 106. So not, not much of a difference there. Our, our next best, our next best season in the last decade uh, it was actually 2018 at 140 yards per game. Uh, I, I don't really see Brett, how we can get much better than that, but overall, this is a really stout run defense that brings back a lot of players uh, from last year's rotation. Yeah, and that um, brings us to the secondary, the, the last position group here on defense. Um, we bring back a lot. Kyle Hamilton, um, I mentioned him in, in the intro to this, so now's our time for our safety plug um, in, in the uh, likes of Officer Tim McCarthy. Um, he's a top five player in the nation, hands down, all American. He's going in the first round of the NFL draft. 
Um, I've never seen a more physically gifted athlete other than maybe Jalen Smith. Um, he actually went to the same high school as NFL coach Sean McVay. He was number 60 recruit in his class. Um, I, I thought that was ridiculous. Like I thought he should have been a top 35 star and yeah. was, was getting underlooked. Um, he's an Atlanta kid. Um, I, I live in Atlanta right now. So I, I tra- I tracked his recruiting process very closely. Um, Freeman has absolutely been hyping him up. Um, you know, if we think back to the Van Gorder era, when we just pulled our hair out thinking, how can you not better utilize Jalen Smith? Um, Freeman is trying to get Hamilton using every role possible. Um, even more so than Clark Lee did last year. I think you're going to see him rushing the QB. I think you're going to see him at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's going to be moving around a lot. I think he might even play more of like a JOK role, um, last year when, when JOK was just all over the field doing all sorts of things. Um, that's what you're going to get out of Kyle Hamilton last year. I just, I I couldn't be more excited to see him play for Notre Dame. I know this is probably our last year left, um, getting to see Hamilton grace our presence before he's in the NFL. And I'm going to soak up every single game I can watch in number 14. Yeah. He and Jalen Smith, those are just the two guys I think of. As soon as they got on campus, it was just immediately apparent that they were going to instant, instant. Yeah, the rave reviews when Hamilton first got you know to camp were were ridiculous. Um, and then and then he and then he showed it as soon as he got in on game. So you know, another thing, he, he wasn't even like you might have mentioned this, Brett, but he, he wasn't even fully healthy last year. So he had, he had a, a bit of a hurt ankle. So that's a bit scary for for opposing offenses. That you know whatever you saw on film. Uh, was someone who was actually not at 100%. Um, but uh, yeah, so really excited to see what Hamilton does this year. The other safety spot, however, uh, it's it's a bit of a question mark. Maybe a question question mark's a little harsh, but uh, it's Houston Griffith. He's he's the most the most likely starter, number 70 recruit in his class, but hasn't quite stepped up yet at Notre Dame. He actually entered the transfer portal earlier in 2021 before backing out. Uh, when Freeman was hired. This was really like task number one that Kelly gave to him. He said, hey, uh, we're really excited that we hired you. I'm sure Kelly worded it <laughs> a little bit better than that. But he's like, hey, like we're really excited. But there's a guy in the transfer portal right now that's absolutely critical uh, to, to, our, to our team. You need to go recruit him back. And, and recruit him back, he did. Um, so big win there. You, you know, even, even with all that, you know, all that drama, it's it's still a little unclear if he is the guy. Behind him, you have DJ Brown, who was a low three-star recruit, and Isaiah Pryor, the Ohio State transfer who played sparingly last year, often in the rover role. Um, they're good options at, at the other safety spot, but it doesn't appear to be locked down firmly by anyone and will be a position battle certainly to watch throughout the season. And then that brings us to cornerback. Um, Clarence Lewis has the one spot locked down. He'll definitely be on the field. Um, to be clear, he, he was the number 727 recruit in his class. So um, that's one where I just think the ranking was flat out wrong. He, he came in last year as a true freshman, played a big snap count, held his own in big matchups. Um, you know, Jalen Waddle and, and Jalen Smith torched him in the Bama game. But other than that, you know, those guys torched everyone. Um, and other than that, um, he really held his own. So now coming in as a sophomore, he's, he's the leader of this group. Um, the other spots probably have a few more question marks around him. Um, Clarence Lewis actually replaced Tariq Bracey last year in the starting lineup, um, mid season. Um, Bracey is just really inconsistent. He's got good size. He's very physical. Um, it sounds like they're going to use him a lot more nickel this year, um, covering slot, um, and, and in passing down situations. 
also in that 400 recruit range, um, just kind of lacks the speed to truly be elite. So if, if you put a burner on him, it's, it's not a great matchup. Um, and then similarly, Cam Hart, also number 644 recruit, um, recurring theme here of, of just kind of this mid to low three star. Um, Cam Hart's a big dude at corner. He's 6'3", really good size, really physical, got a lot of playing time last year. So between he and Bracey, um, alongside Clarence Lewis, they're, they're going to have to step up and, and lock down that second spot. Yeah, it's, it's no secret that cornerback recruiting has, has been, a, been a challenge for Notre Dame. Um, with, with the level of recruiting that we've had, we've actually had, I would say, very good production. You look at Julian Love, you look at, like, you look at Troy Pride. These are guys who um, really, uh, you know, were really productive for us, and we're not necessarily like highly touted out of high school. Both starting in the NFL right now. Yeah, although Troy Pied unfortunately just got injured, but he was he was getting pretty good reviews for that. Um, and Julian Love, I, I think he was just a three star. Um, so you know, certainly the development has been there. Um, and another another like note I'll make is that. Um, it, it seems like our recruiting at, at corner has improved a bit lately um, due to Marcus Freeman. We're not going to go into too much detail on that, but so far uh, early, early reviews seem to be good. Um, getting yeah, back, you mentioned Julian Love. I, I just looked him up. He, he was the number 480 recruit in his class. So, you, you know, if, if you could get Clarence Lewis and Cam Hart to turn into Julian Loves, I'd, I'd be really happy. But again, yeah. you're, you're not getting those blue chip guys at, at corner. For sure. We've had some hits, but... Overall, our recruiting has been a weakness compared to the, the rest of our recruiting. Um, and it shows our, our top three corners were 434, 644, 727 in the recruiting classes. Kyle Hamilton can, can cover up a lot of those flaws, um, but he's not, he's not Superman as much as we'd like him to be. Uh, the front seven will need to generate uh, a lot of havoc to protect us on the outside. Uh, but circling back, if there's one weakness on this defense, it's it's cornerback. We've seen that consistently in big games. Bama is, is a recent example. Clemson really in both games. We got beat on the outside, so um, hopefully we get some some more production here than expected. But uh, if, if if we're exposed in some big games, this is a, a position that a lot of people will be looking at. Yeah, and, and just to put a couple you know stats behind it um I, I mentioned explosive plays earlier for jack cone and, and ian book and, and where that that might shake out on defense we gave up 4.6 plays per game of 20 plus yards last year that ranked 59th in the nation now again we had three games against uh clemson twice and bama yeah. um so th- this isn't adjusting for strength to schedule and those were both you know top five offenses um but in the th- Three prior years to that, we were in the top 15 each year. Um, we only gave up about three plays per game in 2019 and 2018. So that was a 50% uptick last year. Um, and again, different schedule, everything else. But now going into this year, we talked last week about how uh, our opponents, when we reviewed the schedule, there's some really good quarterbacks we're going up against. Keenan Slovis, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Graham Mertz. Um, we know, uh, Freeman and Mike Mickens, the defensive back coach, they want to play a lot of man to man coverage. They want to get aggressive. This is a really big, if there's a concern for this defense, this is it. Now that we've proved the entire roster, I, I think it's pretty clear. Hamilton is the most exciting part. Uh, cornerback, maybe the biggest question. Um, Brett, what else stands out to you on the defense? Yeah, I think, you know, especially juxtaposing it to the offense, uh, maybe just the overall talent level. 
Um, a, a really good stat that, that I've liked following is the blue chip ratio. Uh, this is tracked by Bud Elliott at 247, one of the big recruiting ser- services. This is a ratio of your four and five stars to your two and three stars on your roster. Um, so basically if, you know, half of your team is a five star and half of your team is a three star, you'll have a 50% blue chip ratio or BCR. Um, for context, um, no one's made the playoff unless their BCR ratio, uh, is at least 50%. That's just kind of a magic threshold. Um, so that means you need to have more players on your teams that are four and five star recruits than three and two star recruits. As a benchmark, Alabama, typically in the low 80s, last year they were 83% uh, four and five star ratio to three stars. Um, so 80% of their ratio or 80% of their roster was four and five stars. Teams like Clemson and Oklahoma, they're usually in like the 65 to 70% range. Uh, Notre Dame's been kind of trending in 55 to 60%. Our offense this year is right around 60%. So 60% of the offense is four star players. Our defense is 48%. Um, so that means that we're going to have slightly more three stars and four stars on the field. And, and I think it shows in some of the, the position groups we went through. I talked about it on the defensive line. We talked yep. about it at corner. Um, you know, even at linebacker, um, Jack Kaiser, Maris Luafau and Drew White were all three stars. Um, I, I went through the roster, I think over half of our starters. So it's not like this is just a total roster. It's like even our starters, the makeup is, is a lot of three star recruiting. Um, Really good players, really productive college football players. Um, but I think we're going to need to lean on depth more than maybe raw talent. Um, and, and then I think you really just got to coach these guys up. Um, but when you think about how far can this team go, it, it just gives me pause if, if we've got enough, um, you know, just raw talent on the field. Uh, last question, Mike. We, we said it earlier. Notre Dame was ranked 18 in football outsiders, uh, defensive FEI ratings last year. D- do you think? Freeman keeps that squad in the top 20 again this year? It's a tricky question. We certainly lost some pretty talented guys last year. Um, that being said, you know, we have, we have, we still have someone like Kyle Hamilton, uh, at safety. We have a long track record of development at the defensive line, a lot of depth there. Um, maybe no five star recruit potential, like number one pick type guys there. Uh, but a lot of talent. Linebacker, um, maybe, Maybe similar story to to the to the defensive line, but to, to a lesser degree. So I don't know. Overall, I think my gut is telling me we probably end up similar to where we were last year. Maybe a small step back, um, which, in, in my opinion, I think that would that would be uh, you know that would be an adequate result. There certainly are enough signs there to suggest that we could take another step forward um, if if uh, if the linebackers you know, really, really shine are all over the place. That would be good if the corners end up being better than expected. I think, um, I think that, you know, that'll help as well. Um, I don't know that I want to bet against Freeman. I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, if he's, he's really good scheming us, uh, to, you know, to, to, to heights that we haven't been to before on, 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 on our defense. But, uh, but I think that remains to be seen. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll I just, first. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think in, in year one of, of the Freeman era on defense, um, if, if we can even replicate what we've done the last few years, I, I think that'd be a really good benchmark. Agreed. Wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised at all if you'd see us take a half step back, but, but think we'll be pretty solid again. Uh, so that let's, uh, move on from the defensive roster preview and go into our, uh, next topic of the podcast. Remember, 
keeping your driving pencil sharp is always a good point. Uh, definitely sharpened our pencils researching the defense. A lot of good points. Now, switching to our first offseason headline. Uh, and and this, is, this is a big one. Um, independence and whether or not the latest news in conference realignment will impact Notre Dame. The one other caveat to this segment, but before we dive in, as, as we're recording this, a lot of headlines coming out on a potential alliance between the Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 so far appears to be a lot of rumors, no concrete uh, really news or terms co- coming out of those conversations yet uh, as of the time of this recording. And this is the one thing that may make me reconsider independence is if there's a scenario where teams in the Power Five conference would actually be prohibited from scheduling Notre Dame if their non-conference games were, say, committed to going to the other conferences within an alliance. So far, that doesn't seem to be what this alliance is about. This alliance is more about bowl scheduling and college football playoff and TV contracts. So given the limited news that's been out on this so far, we're effectively going to disregard those headlines as we talk about these takes and, you know, revisit any potential impact of an alliance once, once we learn more on that heading. Brett, I, uh, I know you don't like this subject, but it's the top of every ND offseason list of headlines. It's coming up again with pending SEC realignment, you know, as, as the news is out on Texas and Oklahoma, two of college football's premier programs making plans to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. So I, I know you don't like it, but I think we need to cover this one. You're, you're right. I, I absolutely hate this. Um, I live in the middle of SEC country. I live in the middle of ACC country. Um, I'm a firm believer Notre Dame is independent uh, from multitude of reasons, and that's not going to change. Um, this one gets me triggered. I'm a little worked up. I have to talk about it, but I, I will. I get it. Um, so my goal for this is for our fans, our listeners, to be well-equipped in their FAQ of how to deal with bad fans at other schools and how to gently explain to them why Notre Dame is independent. Um, We need to better educate our conference-loving family, friends, and acquaintances. Um, I don't know if we'll succeed in that, Um, but this is just a dumb clickbait headline. Um, But let's cover it anyways. Number one thing in college athletics, frankly, number one through 10 on the list of things that drive college football is money. Um, It's a big part of the equation. Money is in the TV contracts. Mike, I I know that's an area of your expertise. So um, why don't you start by just walking through some of the economics of of ND being independent, especially on the the TV side? Yeah, happy to. Um, For our listeners, uh, about to get into some nerdy detail on these contracts. So, so, so get excited. Um, So this stat is a, is a little dated, but I, I think it is helpful for context. Uh, Based on Notre Dame's 2017-2018 tax returns, uh, Notre Dame made a little more than $20 million total in, in, TV, in TV revenue from football. Uh, we received $7.9 million from the ACC, plus NBC revenue expected to be a little bit over $15 million. So that's what gets you over that, that $20 million and change, basically. Uh, in contrast, Michigan received uh, $56 million in, in, in uh, the 2019 season. So... Again, we're comparing some different years here, but it's clear that there's a big gap. Um, and he receives quite a bit less due to its independent TV contract. The difference isn't quite as stark when you're comparing that 
Andy's take to other ACC teams, but frankly, it's still less. And uh, for our friends in the SEC, our friends in the Big Ten, who uh, have a lot of myths about Notre Dame, I think one of the bigger ones is that Notre Dame makes more money from its TV contract. I think these numbers that I I, uh, I just mentioned right here show that uh, that is, in fact, not true and actually represents a cost of independence. Um, while, while mentioning the cost, I would be remiss if I didn't call out the other benefits of this deal before Notre Dame fans start lining up with pitchforks outside of 30 Rock. Uh, this deal guarantees nearly every, every home game is televised across the largest possible platform, excluding a game or, or so. Um, as a broadcast network, uh, NBC has more reach than even ESPN. ESPN is a cable network, so for people with different cable packages, not every single one has ESPN. All, pretty much all of them, uh, I, I will say all of them, have, have the four broadcast stations. So Notre Dame is, if you're looking to go for national reach, Televising your games on NBC is as good as you can as good as you can get. Um, no other program receives the certainty of national reach that ND receives from its from its deal. For national brand, again, that's 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 critical. Um, we also tend to get more optimal time slots and greater scheduling flexibility. Um, from a fan perspective, um, this is a point that I want to confirm more, but I believe that we know further in advance when a game start time is. So for planning purposes. It makes things easier, frankly. Um, one other thing to keep in mind is that uh, part of the reason that we have less TV revenue as opposed to these conferences, it is kind of like a startling statistic. You'd think, hey, Notre Dame, such a big uh, big brand, nationally known, everybody knows Notre Dame. You'd think that they would be able to command bigger TV revenues than anyone else. Well, the problem is we negotiate our deal as a sole party and don't receive the benefit of collective bargaining that conferences do. So when all these teams combine together, it just gives them more leverage when they're negotiating their TV deal. And that helps explain why we get less. Now, if we joined a conference one day, um, we would not only get at least what the conference that we joined, presumably the ACC is getting, uh, but if we joined, we would also, because we're such a big brand, be able to boost like TV revenue for everyone as a whole. Um, But TV contracts, while a big piece, are just one piece of how college football makes money. Their ticket sales, jersey sales, bowl game proceeds, fees for playing in non-conference games. Uh, I could go on and on. Yeah, and, and you know, just building on that too. So this is where then I step back. So sure, we make less in TV money, but we have that autonomy of our scheduling. We get the uh, primetime spots. Um, our fans love being independent. Our fans pay up for TV ticket uh, or for, for, for ticket sales, and and so as a result. Um, despite that TV contract, by the way, so despite the fact that we might be the tune of 50 million behind Michigan in TV revenue, um, we were number five, um, according to Forbes in 2019 for operating profit. So set aside your TV money. When you look at total, um, annual revenue and operating profit, Notre Dame was number five, um, to the tune of nearly $80 million a year. Um, Bam is ahead of us, Texas is ahead of us, A&M is ahead of us, and Oklahoma is ahead of us. Um, after that, Notre Dame slots in at number five on operating profit per Forbes. So TV, big part of it, not all of it. And when you stack it all up, I think that autonomy of our brand is, is a huge advantage that lets us make up those economics elsewhere. I think you'll lose that if you're joining the ACC and you're getting stuck with noon games against Wake Forest every other week and Boston College and, and you're just not in that 
primetime spot, you're going to lose that autonomy of your brand. You're going to lose that loyalty from your fans. The other big advantage is recruiting. Um, we play once a year in California. We play at least once a year in the Southeast. Um, in most years, we get at least one game somewhere in the Northeast. Uh, we cover the map with our games. That draws fans for money, sure, but what that really does is that draws recruits. So wherever we can go, we can get official visits to games in every single region in the country. We're pretty much the only team that can do that. Um, you've seen that work to our advantage. We pull a lot of kids out of, uh, out of California. Modern Day, for example, is a huge feeder school. Um, we pull a lot of kids out of uh, the Florida and Georgia area. Kyle Hamilton, great example. I don't know if we draw those recruits that nationally um, if we join a conference. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I mentioned never getting stuck on the random noon kickoff games, um, you know, on, on ESPN3, especially in a down year. Um, you know, if, if you go six and six in the ACC Big Ten, um, good luck getting primetime spots. It's just not going to happen. Um, Notre Dame, even in our worst years, I, I hate thinking about the 16 squad, but, you know, even when we're um, a four and eight squad, we're there at 3.30 on, on NBC. And when we do have a big road game, um, you know, ABC is still putting us in the primetime spot. Yeah, I think Notre Dame in particular, just the, you know, the national brand, the national reach is so critical. Um, we'll, we'll have to look at some stats, but if, if I had a guess, I would say that I think Notre Dame's uh, alum base and fan base, um, the percentage of of those uh, groups of people that reside outside of like driving distance of Notre Dame, it's got it's got to be a lot higher than like a program for Ohio State. I think I think that's pretty clear. You know, we we could look up stats, but I think that's something that would would uh, be easily proven. And when when something like that is the case, and you have this this brand that's been established for such a such a long time, um, I think you know, as Brett mentioned, all these factors of having uh, guaranteed reach, guaranteed national exposure, the ability to travel all over the place. I think that's critical. One other point I'll make: I did say that with NBC, you know, we are guaranteed, uh, we are guaranteed reach essentially every home game. Usually, there'll be like one game a year that'll be on. Uh, in the past, it was like NBC Sports. This year, uh, it, we have a game on Peacock, which is uh, driving a lot of uh, a lot of fans pretty crazy. But uh, outside of like one game or so a year, you know, they're they're all going to be on, on on the biggest possible platform. So, um, moving on, what about? What about football on the on the field? Would would joining a conference help? That's a big question. You'd have to believe that either one, our schedule isn't good enough as an independent, or two, our wins and losses would get better in conference. Excluding 2020, uh, our strength of schedule has averaged number 17 over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Doesn't really matter what time period you look at. We're consistently a top 25 schedule. That's another that's another myth I frequently hear from non Notre Dame fans. They think that we. We, uh, we play an easy schedule. Based on these stats that I just mentioned, uh, clearly not. Maybe we're not number one every year, but we're consistently a tough schedule. Um, you know, I yeah, have and, to... And, and, and th- this is one that just gets me absolutely triggered. If, if I have to hear one more SEC fan talk about a 13th data point and that Notre Dame doesn't play in a non-conference, um, look, these other schools are playing multiple games a year against FC- FCS schools. They're going up and beating up on the Citadel... and Middle Western Kentucky State University, whoever they are, um, drives me nuts. Um, Just the fact that the one year we joined a conference, our strength of schedule is number 51 in the ACC. It's really telling. Um, Even this year's strength of schedule metrics preseason, it's really kind of hard to know what your strength of schedule is, but 
Phil Steele does a good college football preview. He's got us at number 23. Um, for some comparisons, Ohio State, their strength of schedule is number 47. Clemson, number 72. Um, the average of the ACC is 52. Um, you can keep your 13th data point. I'm going to go and consistently schedule tough, competitive games. We've got home and away series with Bama on the books, Ohio State on the books. You're seeing Wisconsin this year. Um, we're going to keep scheduling tough. Um, the other one that drives me nuts is, do you think joining a conference would make it more likely to make the playoff? Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I can't imagine playing in the SEC West for Texas and Oklahoma is going to help them make the playoff if they have to play Bama and LSU and Auburn every year. Yep. Um, I, I just don't see how that helps your, your chances. The other thing I'd say is we've always had um, a seat at the table. Um, we've always had influence. So in the BCS era, the four-team college football playoff, and now the expansion of the college football playoff, um, Notre Dame has had a member on the committee. Father Jenkins is on the board of managers of the college football playoff. Um, that means Notre Dame has the same number of seats as the Big Ten, the same number of seats as the ACC, the same number of seats as the SEC, the same number of seats as the Big 12, the same number of seats as the Pac-12. Um, that will continue to make sure we we stay relevant. Um, and and so, you know, all this talk of joining a conference, I've, I've had it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> We're not going to. There's too much money on the line. There's um, too much brand autonomy for, for Notre Dame. Um, and it, it works. It's good for college football that Notre Dame can bounce around the country and play in big rivalries. It's good for college football that Notre Dame um, still has a path to the playoff. Um, I don't care what ESPN says. I don't care what Paul Feinbaum says. I don't care what SEC, ACC, Big Ten fans say on both sides of the Mississippi. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just sick of it. I can't handle this topic. It's the last time we're talking about it this year. I got to yeah. move on. Notre Dame staying independent. Yep. Now, Brett, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, as our listeners can, can hear, uh, we, we have reached the point where Brett has, uh, has reached full exasperation. So I can't take uh, it anymore. I, I grew, I actually grew up in the South too. So I, I, I definitely get it. Um, a lot, a lot of these myths, they're just very easily disproven. And when you actually like lay out the case, uh, for why Notre Dame is independent. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's pretty reasonable. Um, another point that, uh, Brett, you may have mentioned this. I, I can't remember if you mentioned it earlier, but just frankly, Notre Dame has a very large endowment. So one big consideration with them is, hey, we need to keep our alums engaged. We need to keep our fans, people who are involved with the university engaged um, so that we can continue to collect these these very, very large uh, checks for that will go towards our endowment. That will go towards paying buildings, um, paying eleven point six billion dollar endowment speaks volumes. Yeah. So, frankly, that's going to be the university's bigger uh, concern as opposed to you know twenty twenty thirty million in TV revenue. Uh, at this point, that doesn't really seem to justify uh, what you give up if you give up the independence. Now, look, if sports rights deals keep skyrocketing. Everybody has a price. If we're missing out on $150 million a year at some point, maybe you have to start rethinking that. But we're not we're not there yet. Remember, becoming a hothead is not very cool. All right, now that we've moved on from that uh, infuriating topic for Brett, uh, Brett, I think I think you need to pay attention to Officer Tim McCarthy. Hotheads aren't cool, and it seems like conference realignment talk has you worked up. How about you try to cool down on this next segment 
in our obscure closing segment of the week. Can you tell our viewers about one-half teams? Really glad we're moving on. Uh, happy to do it. I'm, I'm coming back down. Heart rate's lowering. Um, so to close out, we're going to talk about one-half teams. This is a term coined by the Solid Verbal podcast that I mentioned. Ty and Dan, love you. Uh, no, we're not talking about teams that play well in the first half or the second half. We're talking about teams that literally only have a half of a football team. All right. All right, Brett. So that, that's an interesting uh, thought exercise, but can you give me a real example of a one-half team? Sure thing. Northwestern absolutely dominates this metric. They are the ultimate one-half team. Uh, last year, Northwestern had the number one defense in all of college football per FEI. That was better than Georgia, better than Cincy, Clemson, Bama, you name it. Across all advanced metrics, unanimously, the stats love Northwestern's defense. And what did that defense get in return? The 89th ranked offense in the country. For a one-half team score of 89 minus 1 equals 88, not great, Bob. What's worse for Northwestern, this happens every year. Top 25 defense for four straight seasons and a bottom 40 offense for three straight seasons. Okay, hold up. So you're telling me that Northwestern has an Alabama-level defense? <laughs> Man, if, they only, if only they could get a first down. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of fans wonder, like, how will we get past college football parity? How, how will anyone ever compete with Bama and Clemson's and Ohio State's of the world? The key is you just have to combine two half, one-half teams. Um, so the flip side of Northwestern, last year, UNC had the 15th, uh, sorry, UNC was the 15th worst one-half team. They had the number four offense and the number 71 defense. So the metrics were basically saying, uh, if you combine UNC's offense with Northwestern's defense, you would have statistically been better than Alabama and would have been about a two-point favorite on a neutral field. Mm, okay, very interesting. Where uh, where does Notre Dame stack up in this? Yeah, it's, it's kind of why I wanted to talk about this. Stat. They actually stack up really well in the sense that they are not a one-half team. In fact, uh, so the opposite of being a one-half team is being balanced. And Notre Dame was se- uh, the second most balanced team in college football last year. They had the 17th best offense paired with the 18th best defense. Um, only Clemson was better, who happened to be ranked uh, sixth in both offense and defense. And I know, I've now filled everyone's heads with absolutely meaningless knowledge. However, um, that balance of Notre Dame, now that we've covered both the offense and defensive rosters, I think is a really nice closeout um, for this segment. Um, Notre Dame's fielded a top 30 defense every single year since Brian Van Gorder was fired. We've also featured a top 30 offense in each of the last four years. Um, only three other teams can say that. Bama, Clemson, Georgia have also all had top 30 offenses and defenses. I think that balance on both sides of the ball has been a big reason for our success. Um, and I think as we've covered the offensive and, and defensive rosters, um, really nice way to close out our season preview that that balance um, and, and really putting up, you know, top 20, top 25 units um, has been a hallmark of our run. And, and hopefully Brian Kelly uh, gets the squad there uh, again this year. Yep. Yeah, Brett, that was, that was really interesting. Uh, yeah. Great company to be in with, with Bama, Clemson, Georgia. Hopefully, hopefully we finally break through that next level. Absolutely. So folks, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. We'll take a deep dive into uh, getting ready for Florida State Week. And in the meantime, reach out. Love to hear from you. Would love getting rated on, on wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be in touch. Go Irish. Go Irish.